God when you feel mistreated. And again, I'm sure I'm the only one that has ever felt like they've been mistreated because you all have just led perfect lives and I'm trying to be like you. Uh, but for but for those of, of us imperfect individuals, we're going to talk about the role of suffering today. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. This is kind of like when your mama told you to eat your vegetables when you were a kid. Now, once in a while, mom gets tired and, and she decides to have, uh, you know, ice cream for, for dinner that night because, or pizza. Because she's had a, a, a tough day and the last thing she feels like doing is fighting with, with a bunch of kids over eating healthy stuff. Um, but a good mom knows that you can't eat ice cream and pizza every night because that's not very healthy. So sometimes God puts things into our path that we don't like, but they're necessary for spiritual growth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience' sake towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. This word froward here, it's not a word that we typically use. Like, you probably don't say of your boss, you may or may not like, well, that's a real froward person. Most people wouldn't have any idea what you meant. Froward from the Greek is skolios. And it's literally the opposite of towards, okay? So, so in the context of this passage, it means facing the opposite direction of you. In other words, they're against you. So whenever somebody is towards you, they're for you, they're behind you, they're, you know, they're with you 100%. It's easy to love those people, isn't it? And it's easy to pray for those people. But for those that are froward, it means that they are willfully, deliberately, hateful, and spitefully against you. And those are the kind we are called to love the deepest. Don't you love being a Christian? It's like the person who just gets your goat. You ever said that or thought that about somebody or heard somebody say, they just get my goat. Of course, the way for somebody to not get your goat is to not have a goat, to be gotten. Because, you know, there's a difference, obviously, between a goat and a sheep. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a farmer to know the difference. Sheep are easily, are easily led. They're mendable. They're pliable. Uh, you can beat a sheep, and they're not going to fight back. But a goat, on the other hand, goats are going to headbutt you. They're stubborn. They're willful. So whenever somebody says, I've said it, okay? So I'm not pointing a finger and condemning you by any means. But I've said, they just give my goat. It means that there's a stubborn side of us. There's a goat part to us. That we're 90% sheep and 10% part goat. Now, if we're honest, most of, most of it is not so cut and dry. We say, well, you're either a sheep or a goat. Well, some people are part sheep and part goat. And for those that are part goat, God sends people their way to get their goat to show them that they've got a goat. So if somebody gets your goat, it's God showing you you've got a goat that you need to crucify. No, I'm not here you know, advocating animal cruelty, but that is what they did in the Old Testament. They sacrificed goats. And maybe we need to sacrifice a few of our goats. 
instead of worrying about the wrongs that other people have. You cannot do anything about anybody else's wrongdoings. Not a single, as they say in the country, not a single cotton-picking thing. But there's a whole lot of wrong, right, a whole lot of things we can do about our our wrongs. Okay, Peter said, "If you are mistreated, okay." Now read the read the context again, verse twenty. He says, "For what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults?" Now some of you are glad that this word "if" is here because it means that not everybody is going to be mistreated in the same manner and on the same level. Most of us will never be called to suffer martyrdom for Christ's sake. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we will. Who knows where this is all headed before it's all said and done. And I know it's not a laughing matter, but as far as the outlook goes right now, you know, here in America, we still have, as of this date in 2021, we still have religious freedom. We will probably not be called to put our heads on the chopping blocks for the Lord's sake. But some will. Maybe not in America, but many have already throughout history, if you know your church history. And so not everybody is called to suffer in the same manner. So what if I told you that suffering for Christ's sake was a higher calling? And maybe that's why Peter said, if this happens to you, not when. Now, again, we're all going to be mistreated, for sure, as many of you have. But and when I say mistreated, I don't mean I slapped him and they slapped me back. Okay, You, you didn't get mistreated. You got what was coming to you probably. Okay, when I say mistreated, I mean you were clearly in the innocent or mostly innocent. As I said last week, you know, innocence seems seems to come in shades, or, but you are mostly innocent in the matter. Okay, uh, or or fully innocent. And so when we're mistreated for Christ's sake, okay, not not because we broke a law, but for the Lord's sake, that is a higher calling that God calls some people to, because I believe. That God often reserves the higher degrees of his fiery furnace for those that are mostly going to be used the greatest. Now, how does God judge those who he can send through the furnace? It's by those who are going to be able to withstand the furnace. So when deep hurt comes your way, you have to rejoice that God found you worthy to be called to suffer like that in such a manner. Because it means that something far greater is on the horizon for you. The early church had a much different outlook on suffering than we normally have. The early church theology of martyrdom was born not in synods or councils, but in sunlit, blood-drenched coliseums and catacombs, dark and still as death. As a matter of fact, in the second century then, the word martyr became a technical term for a person who had died for Christ. But they had another word that defines those who proclaimed Christ's lordship at trial, but did not suffer the penalty of death, and that was called a confessor. So there was a confessor, and then there was this martyr. A passage from Eusebius describes the survivors of the persecution in Lyons in 177 AD, which is where is what is today known as France. And I quote from, from that passage, he said, they were also so zealous in their imitation of Christ that though they had attained honor and had borne witness not once or twice but many times, having been brought back to prison from the wild beasts, covered with burns and scars and wounds, yet they did not proclaim themselves martyrs. 
nor did they suffer for us to address them by this name. If any of us in letter or conversation spoke of them as martyrs, they rebuked him sharply. And they reminded us of the martyrs who had already departed and said, and, a, and again, he's quoting, they are already martyrs whom Christ has deemed worthy to be taken up in their confession, having sealed their testimony by their departure, but we are lowly and humble confessors. And they said that with bleeding scars and with deep wounds in their backs and in their chests, many of them who could not walk and were lame. And yet they said, do not call us martyrs. We are not worthy to be called by that name. The early church understood that mark of true discipleship was how they took mistreatment, even martyrdom. First Peter chapter 2, he says this, for even here in two were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he did not threaten back, but committed himself to him that judged righteously. We sing that song, or we used to sing it, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And we sing it as if it's going to magically happen during the song. But do you really want to be like Jesus? Knowing what he went through. When was he ever treated during his earthly days with the honor and the dignity and respect and love that God manifested in flesh should have been treated by anyone in or out of leadership? And especially by those, even at times his own 12, who should have known better. Because at the very least, even if he wasn't who he said he was. At the very least, even though law demanded that you love your neighbor as yourself, and they should have at the very least treated him with the kindness and respect they would have treated anybody else. Now, of course, this was accepting for the 12, but even one of them was a devil. And as I said at times, even the 12 weren't right. Remember when they slept? In that prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus rebuked them sharply and said, Could you not watch and pray for a single hour? And at times he had to rebuke Peter, calling him Satan. There were moments where people worshipped him because they desired something of him. That's the same as it is today, as is often the case. But many left off from going the hard road of true discipleship because they did not want to be mistreated. Jesus' teaching sometimes emptied the church as often as it filled it up. Remember whenever Jesus, after he preached that message in John 5, 6, and 7, he looks at his last remaining 12 and said, are you going to go away too? Thousands, just a few minutes ago, until he said, except eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they didn't understand what he was referencing there, and they called him a heretic, and they left. All thousands of them. He was betrayed, talked about, deeply mistreated, even by his closest family, and at the end of his life, beaten and crucified by those whom he loved the most. Now, I ask you, do you still want to be like Jesus? Because it will come at a cost. You know, you have to realize this, and you've got to get this settled, that some people are dipsticks. <laughs> it's true. You know what a dipstick is? It measures things. If you got, you know, if you think your car is running low on oil, what do you do? You take out the dipstick and you wipe it clean and you put it back in and you look at it. it dipstick measures things. 
So there are people that God will send into your life to measure how much love and patience you have because they're dipsticks. They have that ministry. Now, I hope you don't have that ministry. I hope God has not called you to that ministry of the dipstick. But people will have that ministry at various and sundry times in your life. And let me tell you something else. When I started preaching, I was 19. I'm 21 now, so... I look pretty good for 21, right? <laughs> a little gray hair, a little more on my forehead. I've been preaching for 30 years, and you know, I, I can tell you this, that in my ministry, I know for a fact that there are times in your life where God will call you to walk wounded. Remember whenever Moses was called to go on top of the Mount Sinai, and of course we know Joshua with him. What you probably understand is that Joshua did not go with Moses all the way to the top of the mountain. Moses was right there in the middle of it all. And I, I, as far as I know, I believe Joshua would have fasted for 40 days, four nights too. But, but Moses was called to walk in a place where he was alone with God. Furthermore, although Moses did have Aaron and her and Joshua to at times help him, Aaron and her held his hands up when he was battling the Amalekites. And, you know, Moses kept his, kept his rod up and they won. Uh, you know, so we know, we know that he had help. But there were also many times where God called Moses to walk alone. And so there are times in your life where, where nobody is going to understand. They cannot understand because they haven't walked in your shoes. They didn't feel what you felt. They haven't been through and experienced all the things that you have been through. So what we want to do is when we're deeply wounded by people, we want to go and bleed on somebody because that helps. And that's, that's okay. The Bible says we should bear each other's burdens. So that's mostly true. And, you know, if somebody bleeds on you, I hope that you help them, that you encourage them, that you pray with them, that you listen, that you be a good listener. But there are times in your life where people just are not going to get it. And you have to understand that you got to be like the man with the withered hand. Remember, whenever Jesus told that man with the withered hand, he said, stretch forth your hand. That withered hand was a source of shame and embarrassment for that man. Of course, they would have looked on him, the Pharisees, Sadducees in that day, they would have said, well, he was born that way. I assume he was born that way. So it must have been something his parents did, something he did. God, God struck him with this thing because of, of this sin or that. Or, or he was also considered unclean, you know, couldn't enter the presence of God because he had this physical imperfection, this physical blemish. So the, so the mere fact that Jesus said, stretch it forth, means he was hiding it. He was keeping it tucked away. It was a secret. It was a source of embarrassment. Now, your pain is not a source of embarrassment, but that's a good visual illustration of what you need to do sometimes in seasons where people are sent into your life and they've wounded you deeply. You have to keep it tucked away in a place that God knows. And in prayer, you get it out and you lay it before the Lord and you let the Lord begin to apply the healing balm of his spirit and his word. And you let God begin the healing process. But what you cannot do is you cannot get angry and bitter uh, you know, towards them and bitter at God for letting those things happen, for, for, for it being sent into your way. you got to remember that we are called sometimes to suffer. And if you take it well, God will reward you beyond your wildest dreams in due time. It might be some giant spiritual step that you take forward. You know, where God says, okay, you've endured this, you know, you've, you've suffered long enough, now I know that you can walk like me, that you can take me. Because you know what, the, the you know, truth is, Brother Tenney used to say it like this, T.F. Tenney, 
the higher you climb up the flagpole, the more people see you're behind. And if that ain't the gospel truth, I don't know what is. <laughs> people putting yourself in a higher position of leadership, whether it's you know spiritual leadership or physical leadership in the church, will, will leave you open to living in a stone house or into a house of glass. And people will criticize you more often. And you have to be willing to take that kindly and with, with patience. And God has to know he can trust you for this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, an aspect of suffering we don't think about. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself like eyes with that same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. The Apostle Peter said that when we suffer in the flesh, then we cease from sin. In other words, that's how God gets the goat out of us. It, it allows us and puts us into a place where we are more readily able to crucify that side of us that we normally don't deal with. That only the bad situations and the bad things pull out of us. You know, they, you know, they used to tell me, the only way to know what's in a tube of toothpaste is you squeeze it. And whatever is inside comes out. And so, you know, I call it the ministry of the dipstick. We call it the goat. You know, you call it whatever you want. But there are people that God sends into your life or allows to come into your life that he knows are going to mistreat you and abuse you. And now I'm not talking about a spouse situation where you're physically abused. Not, not the kind of thing I'm talking about. Get help if that's the case. But, but there are people in your life that are going to mistreat you sometimes. And those people bring out the goat in you so that you can allow it to be crucified and for God to deal with it. Remember that salvation is free, but sanctification is going to cost you. Salvation is free. Anybody can receive the Holy Ghost. If you got, if you got faith, you can receive the Holy Spirit today, right now. You don't have to wait for the altar call. When we sing and we worship, you can lift your hands and God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. That's free. He paid for that on Calvary. But the Apostle Paul said, cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So there are things that we got to cleanse ourselves from, that we got to get rid of. God is not going to do all that. Now, he'll help you for sure if you ask for help, but he's not going to do it all for you. You have to take some steps on your own for God to cleanse some things out of your life. Amen. So sanctification is a process. We would never call ourselves to suffer in any way. You know it's true. We want everything to be a success. But at seasons, God has called us in certain seasons to suffer in this life at times and in seasons because that's how we become more like him. Mistreatment is only one aspect of suffering, okay? God has called us to pray for those who mistreat us as well. Now, when I say pray for those, I don't mean, Lord, get them good. <laughs> or like David prayed, Lord, let a sword devour them. <laughs> Times. Okay, that's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. You fall under a different spirit when you start praying stuff like that against people that have abused you. But Matthew 5, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? 
Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, there's so much meat in this passage, but I'm, I, only want to, I only want to address just a couple of things. First of all, praying for those who spitefully mistreated me cleans, cleans my own heart out and frees me from any guile I might have towards them. This is literally the only way to fully and completely forgive as Christ forgives. You can say, I forgive them, but until you spend an hour or two weeping over their soul with God in prayer, and you come up out of that prayer meeting and you are clean, there is nothing in you because the Spirit has got rid of it. Well, I'm praying for them. I don't know if they're getting any blessings or not. I hope they are, but God is cleansing me. He's doing the work in me. And I get up out of that prayer session with more joy and more peace and more love than I've ever had in my life. Because I just had a Holy Ghost shower inside. He's cleaned out everything. He's cleaned out the things I know about and the things I don't know about. So praying for those does us more good than it does them. It also guards us against bitterness. As I said last week, during times of mistreatment is where we are open to the enemy the most. Okay, bitterness can easily set in. And the only way to guard us against bitterness is by genuinely praying for their souls and for them. It makes us perfect like God is perfect. And by the way, when I say pray for them, I don't mean, Lord, bless them. But pray and ask God how you should pray for them. And sometimes it's, Lord, you know, um, you know, you, you know, they've got some things in their life. I want you to cleanse them. I want you to help them you know, through these things. Whatever way God wants you to pray for them, the Spirit will lead you to pray in that direction. Okay. The Spirit, the, the Romans says that the Spirit makes intercession where the girl cannot be. Under. We don't know how we should pray like we should, but the Spirit is able to pray, to pray through us. Uh, from Colossians 3 and 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Jesus said that the only way to be perfect is when we treat others with love. Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. To those, the words of the Apostle Paul agree when he said love is the mark of spiritual maturity. Not how big your gifting is, but how deep your love is. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are the gift chapters, right? You know, Paul talked all up and down and sideways about the nine spiritual gifts. But he stops in the middle of his discussion and says, now I'm showing you a more excellent way. And then he says, though I have the gift of prophecy, and though I have, you know, all knowledge so that I can do all these things and have not love, I am nothing. The better way that he talked about at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 is love, because faith works how? By? By love. Faith operates through love. Love is the mark of spiritual maturity. Love is perfected in times of mistreatment and pain. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear of torment. He that feareth is not made perfect. How? In love. In other words, when I am caught with fear and anxiety, then I have not reached an age of spiritual maturity where love has, has cast out everything. True love casts out bitterness. It casts out guile. It casts out reviling. Whatever it is that's in our heart, true love does, it has its work in us. And the only way for love to be perfected in us is through the love of God and through praying for those that have despitefully used us. Hebrews 11 and verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now, it says that Noah condemned the world by preaching the gospel. 
He preached for 120 years. And what was the result? He didn't save anybody but his children. But it doesn't say that God condemned the world. It says that Noah did so. How? Because Noah, by being obedient, brought on condemnation to the world by God in its proper course of time. Your obedience during times of mistreatment puts you in alignment to God or for God to avenge you in his perfect time. But judgment here doesn't always mean to condemn, though, as we stand. Judgment means a decision for or against. So if, if I've committed a crime and I go to the judge, he decides if I'm guilty or innocent. So he might say, well, you're innocent. You've been acquitted. It, you, know, you're, you're in, you, know, you're, you don't have to suffer this penalty. But still a judgment has been brought forth. So it means for or against, if a judge rules in favor of the defendant, it's still a judgment. Consider that the person who is mistreating you may just end up being saved because of your spirit and attitude. So literally our attitude can bring them to the judge where they can, you know, they can look at us and say, wow, something's different about them because they've been mistreated, but, but, I'm, but, but they're still being kind to me. They're still being loving towards me. And so as a result, we bring them to the judge so that maybe they can lift their hands and be saved. And so the judge can pronounce a penalty of not guilty because my blood has covered it all. Many have repented, even within the church, when faced with someone who handled things with grace and kindness. Let's lift our hands today and let's thank God for the ministry of suffering. Thank you, Jesus.